0: Hello, hello and welcome to the 100th episode of the Sustainable-ish podcast. 100 episodes, how on earth did that happen? Now given I'm the least planning ahead planning type person, it only occurred to me to start thinking about what to do for this episode a week or so ago. And short of having Greta or Sir David Attenborough on, I was a bit stuck on ideas for what I could do to mark the occasion. So, I asked the audience, or more specifically my audience, you guys on social media, and you all said that you wanted to hear from me. Actually, that's a lie. Several people did indeed suggest Greta and Sir David along with Chris Packham and a few others, but given the time frame and my distinct lack of celebrity contacts, I went with the most the next most popular suggestion which was to hear from me, which feels pretty excruciating, if I'm honest. So I asked for questions that you might like to ask me and then decided that rather than listen to me drone on asking myself questions and then answering them, it might be more interesting if we had a couple of guest presenters. So enter Kate and Laura, recruited from the Knackered Mums Eco Club, who gamely jumped on Zoom with me and did a brilliant job of sifting through the questions and putting them to me. I have to say, I find the concept of an episode all about me toe-curlingly awful, so I really hope that this is interesting for you guys to listen to. Do let me know. Let me know what other questions, if any, you've got for me, and I can start saving them up for the 200th episode. A massive, massive thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in each week, for sharing the podcast, for rating and reviewing it, and most of all, for listening and getting in touch to share the actions that you've been inspired to take afterwards. It really does make it all worthwhile. Now, I'm taking a short break over Easter, but we'll be back in a few weeks' time to make a start on a whole new centenary, fingers crossed, of episodes. Enjoy this one. Take care. Kate, I think you're going to dive in with the first question for me. Sure. So um, Tyson
1: asked you what made you specifically decide to write your first book?
0: Um, I don't know if I did specifically decide. Um I always wanted to write a book. Why well, I say I always wanted to write a book. When so we did we spent a year buying nothing new. This was back in 2012, 13. And I started a blog to sort of document that year. And I ended up blogging every day for the year, which was far harder than buying nothing new. And it kind of nearly killed me. And loads of people said to me at the end of the year, you ought to write a book about it. And I was like, yeah, I'd really love to, because, you know, I've got a science background and I had to concentrate on sciences for my A-levels. So I sort of stopped writing, do you know, and then I suddenly, writing the blog made me realise I really enjoyed writing again. And um, so I really wanted to write a book, but it's this big... I don't know how to write a book. I don't know how to get in touch with publishers. I don't know what, you know, any of that. It feels like a very different world, doesn't it? So I just sort of went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd really like to, and um, I didn't really do much about it. And then I did a talk at Bristol Festival of Nature in 2015, um, all about our year buying nothing new and had an email afterwards saying I'm a literary agent and my husband came to your talk and he said he really enjoyed it and have you ever thought about writing a book and I was like oh my god yes I have so uh, and this is Kate who's now my agent bless her and and so we met up and had a chat and and she basically walked me through how you write a proposal for a book and we got to a point where she was sort of happy with it and thought it was a viable thing and she started sending it out to various publishers and things but at that point, it was quite memoir about our year buying nothing new. It was quite different to, to what the actual book is. And it had a bit of interest and nothing really. And so um, I had a bit of a sulk and was like, nobody likes my book. <laughs> and then I, th- I think it must've been 2018. I mean, it's a really long, slow process, um about 2018 the beginning of 2018 I thought, like, I really do want to write a book so I went back to my proposal and sort of redid it in the format that the book is now so very much the, so there's 12 chapters each chapter has a different um sort of focus area uh, and sort of went back to Kate with it and um you know sort of back and forth a little bit with her and then she sent it out and then yeah I was so lucky to have Bloomsbury sort of show an interest and kind of went from there so it kind of it was a decision but it wasn't a decision and I uh I, I just, you know, it was, it feels very serendipitous and lucky and all that sort of thing. So that was a very long-winded answer, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> it's good, though, because it is the sort of background that people just assume that it just happens. Mm. So I think having that knowledge that, like, the fact that you you put one idea out there and it wasn't the right angle, mm. but then when you reviewed it, it's like, obviously, that worked because your second book has come out, what, in the space of lockdown? Yeah. Like- <laughs> that's amazing so yeah you know how to do it we're going
0: to expect a lot more from you
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I did actually because um book two just came out and I just had an email from Kate my, and she was like Am I any thoughts about book number three and I was like I, I don't know I, I don't know what else I've got to say eco-friendly pets maybe yeah somebody else I was mentioned just thinking that. that Kate needs to be animals next, I think. <laughs> Somebody else suggested, a, uh, um, you know, let like you get those student cookbooks, like one of those for students going off to uni. I don't know. We'll well, you're to. baking. You need a baking book next. I'd love to do baking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, send in your suggestions, guys, <laughs> if you do. <laughs> Anybody wants a book three. <laughs> Laura, over to
2: you for another question. Okay, so Sue asked, what do you find hardest about living sustainably and how do you tackle it?
0: Um... I think I've reached a point where probably a bit of a plateau. Do you know, like we, we, this has all become very kind of normal for us. And so it doesn't actually feel that difficult anymore. The level that we're at, I guess the, the hardest thing is continuing to make, you know, push yourself to make new changes. I think actually, yeah, the hardest thing is, is the frustration I feel like, why isn't everybody doing this? Do you know, like, once you, I'm sure you guys will relate to this, it's a bit of a can of worms. For a long time, before we spent our year buying nothing new, I was kind of looking away. Do you know, I wasn't intentionally doing it. But I was just, I'm very busy. I've got a lot going on at the time, you know, I had two under three or whatever. That's not my issue to deal with do you know like that's that's for other people that's for surely if it was that bad the government would be responding in the same way they have to the pandemic and surely that's down to businesses there's not actually much I can do there was a lot of that kind of I think unconscious narrative going on in my head so I completely understand you know why people aren't doing that but at the same time you sort of learn all these things and then you can't it's frustrating sometimes because you can't unlearn them and you think, God, I wish I didn't know that because it would be much easier to do X, Y or Z rather than have to kind of, you know, Easter coming out rather than have to agonize about what's the best Easter egg choice. And I can't just go and take one of the 99p ones off the shelf because I feel really, I feel really guilty about it. So, yeah, I think that sort of that knowledge, you know, not being able to unknow things and therefore having to sometimes make I don't want to say more difficult choices but actually it probably is there's a bit more um head work and leg work that has to go into things but yeah also that kind of sometimes feeling like I'm shouting into the void and you know sometimes wanting to run around screaming with a placard saying why oh my god you know the end is nigh why isn't everybody and 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 that frustration like how how do we get other people on board how can we get um other people on board so yeah probably quite there was a lot of frustration in that wasn't there (laughs) it makes sense though because I think when you are
2: so passionate about living sustainably and making these more eco-friendly changes it's hard when people aren't hearing it and aren't listening Mm. and when people are denying it it makes it it does make it really frustrating and you've been working in this field so long now that you can understand that
0: that level of frustration is pretty high (laughs) (laughs) and I think when we talk when we talk about you know you say people denying it and then we think about like um, I don't know, like Trump, don't we? Like a real proper mm. climate denialist. But I'd, I think probably most people aren't like denying it. They're just maybe not acknowledging it or not, or maybe not even, not even that they're not acknowledging it. I think we're all, I like to think, the vast majority of us are pretty on board with the fact that this is happening. Maybe just not acknowledging or not realizing or not feeling empowered enough to step up and kind of do our bit or feeling like that's too hard do you know yeah i think when you
2: see how many emissions china puts out and then you think but i'm just a little old me living in the middle of england what mm. can i do and i think yeah. that helps people doesn't it it makes it you just don't think that you can have an impact
0: yeah but you know like god i bang on about the everybody must be bored of me banging on about this week like we absolutely can and you know like even China has stepped out completely unexpectedly and committed to net zero, I think by 2060, which is, you know, it's not enough, but that's a huge step. And actually, you know, we can do this and we're recording this um, on Wednesday and, and there's a, I'm doing a webinar this evening about carbon footprints and, you know, I've been sort of reading up and, and it is, you know, this like 65%, I think of greenhouse gas emissions are individual kind of household consumption. mean that's huge isn't it so we really can make a difference yeah that might sort of answer the
1: next question to some degree Jen because Catherine and Sophie both asked what keeps you going to inspire (laughs) and encourage others so you know is is there more around that is it is it purely the fact you know that actually we can make a difference so if you keep nudging it will happen is is there more around that that you um you know what yeah I think
0: I now feel like I couldn't stop do you you know when we did our our year buying nothing new and then everybody said at the end what are you going to do now what are you going to go out and buy now and I just was I can't you can't do that and learn all the things that I learned or be forced to sort of confront all those things that I was forced to confront and then just pack it all away again and, ca- and and go back to how you were and in the same way I think you know I've had times where I've been kind of lying in bed going what the hell am I doing like I should just go and get a job at Tesco's or you know that would be easier uh you know guaranteed income and but I just sort of the thing that keeps me going is the thought that I don't want my kids to turn around to me in 30 years time and say what well, What the hell were you guys doing? Like you knew this was coming. What were you doing? And to be able to say, "Yeah, we knew it was coming." Um, I wasn't a world leader, you know. I'm not a not in a position to be able to make big policy shifts and that sort of thing. But actually, I did what I could as a knackered mum and as uh, as an individual. But also, I think stepping into this power that we all have as individuals around. You know sort of spreading that message i was having a chat with a brilliant lady called sandra about a program she's running called the climate pitch which is brilliant everyone needs to go and check it out and she talks about these sort of four roles that we have as people and i'm going to desperately try and remember them now so she talks about our roles as individuals i might have even written it down let me see if i wrote it down um, so yeah our, the powers that we have so our, our powers as individuals in the things that we consume the things that we buy exactly that i just said that 65 percent um, the power that we have as a citizen so the power of our voice, the power of our vote, the power of that sort of activism, you know, that that sort of I talk about this gentle activism, this idea that, you know, we're all everyday activists in the choices that we make and making our voices heard, all those sorts of things. And the power that we have as influencers amongst our family, our friends, our community, you know, when we think about influencers, we think about people with millions of followers on Instagram, but we're all influencers, especially within well, I say, especially within our family, do my kids listen to me? I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Um, but you know, um, even if we're not having direct conversations with our, our sort of wider family and friends, they're seeing the things that we're doing and some of those ripples will be spreading. And again, how can we influence our sort of wider community? And then the power that we have as, and I love this phrase that Sandra used, as a change agent within our sort of workplace, do you know? So if, if we are uh, working and we're employed, we have a kind of stake in that as well. So we can become the change agent within that company and that organisation and, and be asking the questions of them, like, where is our pension invested? Do we know what our carbon footprint is as a company? What is our policy around the environment and all those sorts? And I just thought of loved that. I thought it so brilliantly, I talk about this a lot, but I hadn't managed to kind of succinctly articulate it like that. And um, I thought that was absolutely fabulous. And I've completely forgotten what the question was, what was it? Yeah, how do I, how do I keep going? So it's that, isn't it? It's, it's just, I guess that kind of knowing that we have this amount of power and wanting other people to to know about that as well and really think, God, we could really shift stuff if we could get more people on board. And a cheeky
1: add-on mm. from- is on the flip side of it. You obviously are pushing the ish because you know that you will reach more people that way, but how do you deal with the people who are, are more on the hardcore mm. side of things, who must you must get some criticism along or had some criticism along the way yeah and how do you deal with that because I think personally you know your approach is so much more effective at actually engaging the people that need to listen yeah yeah so how how do you cope with that on a on a personal level?
0: It's really difficult. I was just asked to review, and I don't know if anybody will have read it. Rupert Reid, who's um, sort of quite well known as a spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion and the Green Party, and he's just written a book called Parents for the Future, I think. And I was asked to write a review on it, and I said to the person, I was like, I'm not, I'm not the right person to review this book because my I'm all about the ish, and obviously XR and you know are, are very much not about the ish. And he was like, no, no, you, you know, I really would love to hear your view on it. And, and I was so conflicted after reading it because basically in there, he says, he, he talks about this idea that, um, you know, as parents, we love our children. That's a given. We would do anything for our children. Therefore, we need to take action on the climate crisis. And yeah, all good. What, what his sort of conclusion is that we therefore need to donate the vast majority of our time and or our money to fighting this cause. And there's two parts of me. There's part of me going yes, this is a massive emergency. This is huge. This needs, I think George Monbiot refers to sort of individual actions as kind of wafting a tea towel at a house fire. Do you know, like this needs big shifts. And, we're, and, and maybe we're only going to get those big shifts by the sorts of um, actions like XR are doing and sort of really confronting governments and things like that. But there's this other part of me going, shit, like I'm, I'm massively invested in this, but that's a big ask that feels like a big ask for me there's part of me going no no I can't do that I can't I don't want to go and want to spend my evenings going along to to meetings with people who maybe I don't resonate with and I don't want to I'd certainly feel really like do I give all my money to Extinction Rebellion I don't know like do you know and so I felt so conflicted after reading it because it's absolutely true what he's saying but on the other hand I, I just don't think that that's how we get people engaged one of the analogies I use is this sort of you know, training for a marathon. And if someone, you know, I'm sat there on the sofa watching Netflix and eating chocolate and someone comes along and goes, you're going to run a marathon next week um, and you're going to run it under four hours. And I go, no, I'm not. Whereas if someone came along to me and said, you're going to run a marathon in six months time and you're going to run it, maybe like let's, let's aim for under five, five and a half hours. And you know what? I'm going to hold your hand. And the first thing we need to do is we need to go and we need to look in your cupboard and see if you've got a pair of trainers that fit you. Do you know, I'm much more like, Oh, do you know what, maybe I could do that. And and actually, there's a group here that are going to train with you. And we're going to talk about diet and we're going to talk about, you know, I'm like, Oh, maybe I could do that. And then, you know, maybe I do end up running that marathon. And that's amazing. But from a sort of standing start, that's a big, you know, and so if we can get people started, a proportion of those people will just start and do a few things, a proportion of those people will, you know, do a bit more and a proportion will go on and, and become really active in XR and, um, you know, active in the change agents in their workplace and all those things that we need, but we need to get people started. So I'm conflicted. I am very conflicted, <laughs> but I, I do err uh, on, th- and I don't know if I err on the side of it because I'm so, so non-confrontational and I hate sort of upsetting people.
1: <laughs> it's the perfect compromise though, Jen, because it's you, you know, you're you're almost don't take this the wrong way, but you're almost the gateway drug into, you know, <laughs> into getting people into it because it is overwhelming. And I think for you to be able to stand your ground where somebody might say, well no, you you know, mm. you're living this life as you know, as you said at the start of the podcast, you know, it, it comes a lot of it comes naturally to you now. But there is I think there's something really wonderful in the way that you Balance it so that you're you're setting the example without without preaching, mm. shall we say, without making people feel bad about the about their issues. Because mm. actually, that step, taking those little steps, is is what we all need. And mm. it might take time, but actually, sticking with it, I think it's you know it's fantastic. People are actually making changes.
0: Yeah, and I you know I'm super aware that you know we are running out of time but actually I did um, I've done a couple of podcasts um, to sort of promote the new book on more mainstream so kind of non-eco um, podcasts so um, Zoe Blasky from Mother Kind and Marina Fogel and Zoe just put hers out this week and she said in her intro I'm really nervous about putting this podcast out because parents are on their knees they're knackered you know we've just we're, we're we've been a year of a global pandemic." surely people are going to want to punch us in the face if we now turn around and tell them they've got to do x y and z as well so there's these two kind of extremes isn't there and I was really kind of shocked I think because I live in my little eco bubble at the idea that it might be a no-go area to talk to parents about sustainability that it that we can talk about race we can talk about sex we can talk about diet but actually asking them to do something around the planet that that was the one thing that was making Zoe nervous to talk to her audience about. And I was really kind of taken aback by that. Um, Mm. But those are the two extremes that we're looking at, aren't they? And and we kind of need to... Need to remember there are two extremes there. Yeah, definitely. Laura, what's next from you? I'm going to follow on with the
2: question that I think follows this discussion perfectly. Tyson has asked, what do you
0: think of your ripples? Which one sticks with you the most? I just love, and and, and I talk... To, to you guys in the Knackered Mums Club about this, that sometimes I will put a post out or send out an email and it will feel like tumbleweed. Do you know, you'll sort of think, you send out an email, I try and send out a weekly email and just nothing back. And you just think, did that land? Did that resonate? Did anything happen as a result of that? Was that just a bit of a waste of my hour, you know, and the, the carbon of sending that email. And then periodically I'll just get an email going, I absolutely love your weekly emails. They really make me think, and they really, you know, and and last time I did X, Y, and Z, and just going, oh, oh gosh, like people are listening, and 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 more than that, people are actually kind of making changes. Because I remember when the first book came out last year, and I and I put out posts saying, don't buy this book, don't buy this book if you're not going to change anything, because otherwise it's just a waste of a tree, it's a waste of cut, you know, it's a waste of your. And I guess that's the whole thing. So, so I, I don't know. And I think that's probably the thing a lot of us won't know what our ripples are. And so we think that they're not there. And this is something I really want to encourage people to do is to, you know, and I, that's one of the things social media is brilliant for, because if people don't want to engage with it, they can just scroll on by. But, you know, I'm, I'm not very brave at posting stuff on my own personal profile. I, you know, I can talk all day on podcasts, I can talk all day on you know, I, I can share stuff on my social media on my sort of sustainable ish and social media, but I'm very reticent sometimes about sharing on my own because I think exactly the same as probably a lot of the things that that everyone else feels like. People will just be rolling their eyes at me, people, are like, oh God, off she goes again. Sometimes people don't want to hear it, you know, it's uncomfortable. But actually, do you know, if we can and Suze has been doing this brilliantly in the Macadbums Club because she, she gave up diet coke for lent and so she's been sharing these posts every day with an update on how she's doing on the diet coke thing and then slipping in a little eco changer oh and by the way like you know one of my favorite eco changes has been x y and z and it's been so lovely and it's been done in such a gentle way and she's had such lovely responses from friends and things so there are really lovely ways of doing it and I think yeah, that's what I would. I don't know what my biggest ripple is, and and I think that a lot of us won't know what our ripples are until maybe six months down the line. You get somebody coming bouncing up to you saying, "God, you did that! You did that post, or I saw you doing wearing those jeans with a patch on, or whatever, and it made me brave enough to have a go." I feel like that was the most obtuse answer ever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I think it's really accurate. You, you know, I can see, and I'm sure Kate can see, and um, Elizabeth can, and Sue's can. The effect that you've had on us and on the Knackered Mums community and having more eco-minded friends on my personal Facebook is definitely making me braver to share Mm. on my personal Facebook. And being a member of the group is definitely giving me the confidence to build my own kind of eco-blog. And those are direct ripples from having read your blog for years and listened to the podcast and being a member of the group, but definitely just having friends who are eco-minded is for me my personal biggest ripple that you have created because it has felt like I'm a little person in a massive island with Mm. no one who thinks the same for years now so for me that's been the biggest thing that you've affected in my life.
0: Yeah and I think that's so important for everybody is to find your tribe you know your tribe doesn't have to be my tribe and your tribe might be your local XR group it might be your local you know we've got a sustainable Warminster group that covid permitting you know meet up in person and things like that and um or it might be that you find them online do you know like but find it might be on instagram it might be a facebook group whatever but like find your tribe and your people that you resonate with and um, because they are out there and that was one of my biggest things actually from that year buying nothing new was having a complete meltdown halfway through of like what is this like what's the point of this like this thing is huge and his stupid little old me spending a year buying nothing new so what and I wrote a post about it and like you know all these people commenting and going like oh you know you're not alone because as exactly as you said Laura it's so easy to feel alone especially if you're the one driving change in your family if if there's nobody else if your friends don't seem that bothered and things it's really easy to feel alone and therefore like you're not having much of an impact but that's one of the brilliant things about the Nackered Mums Club and about like when we do the tour, you get to see this collective impact, you know, like we get to see, like we've just collected nearly 180 kilos of litter or something this month, haven't we, in the Nackered Mums Club, I think. And then I went out yesterday and I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't known that we were nearly at our target, you know, and we get to see our collective footprint kind of shrinking and, and it's, it's it really does make you believe in these little actions adding up. Great.
1: And Hel- Helen G's actually asked, can you remember the point when you realised that the Naked Mums Eco Club was really something that actually you did have this tribe of people ready to be part of something more?
0: Yeah, I, no, I don't know. I had this idea and I I have a lot of ideas, you know, like and so, and a lot of them just sort of sit and die quietly in a corner. And I think having done the festival, the online festival, it was sort of May last year and that was mental I think Kate you were just saying you've just done a challenge and you needed a sort of hibernation period afterwards there was like 40 events in a week and like two and a half thousand people and um, it was mad but actually the 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 feedback I had and it was just like the energy that it seemed to create and you know and then I saw you know other people getting in touch going we want to run our own festival and how did you do it and all these kinds of these ripples and then thinking, well. You know, I can't, I, I, I don't know that I've got the energy to repeat that. I don't know if there's an appetite for that to be repeated. This is the end of the summer holidays. And then this idea of the sort of um, eco tour the knackered, and, and the knackered mums and this idea that, you know, we're all on our knees after homeschooling for all this time and having the kids home. And wouldn't it be lovely to just jump on a bus and together and go off on a tour? And obviously we couldn't, that can't happen. So So sort of doing that and then wanting somewhere, wanting a space, I guess, for people to come and to, live um, air quotes afterwards and you know I just love this idea of there being an actual proper clubhouse where there's just all these shabby sofas and a bar and you know coffee and tea and cakes and we can all just kind of come and chill out and and so that's kind of what I wanted to create and I think I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to hear um, from many of you who have been in from the from the beginning. Sort of, it started in September, I think, last year, and and I was sort of feeling my way in for quite a bit, and then it kind of got to January, and I and I really felt like no, actually, I I kind of, I feel like I know now what I what I want this to be, and what will be helpful, and obviously getting feedback from people and things, and almost sort of finding my stride, and just the community in that Facebook group is so lovely, like you know i i it feels like the other bits we do the the sort of calls and the you know the information is a kind of add on do you know it's that kind of community and the space and it and it genuinely is created by the people within it do you know i've just sort of been the catalyst to bring these people together and it's just honestly is I, I'm so biased, but it's absolutely sort of warms my heart. And to, just to see the support that everybody gives each other. And and I guess that's one of my frustrations is like, this feels amazing. We need everybody in this space. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does. Uh, you know, I think it probably felt like after, you know, certainly in the new year, it kind of hit its stride and and just now you know thinking yeah you know this this has got legs this has potential this this is having an impact which is I guess is what it's all about I'm not very good at succinct chances, am I <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Laura back to you I think right I'm going to bring it round to the podcast mm. Helen G has also asked how do you feel about reaching your 100th podcast
0: episode it's weird isn't it it feels like I've been doing it forever, but also like, wow, a hundred episodes. That's that, it does feel like a real milestone. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I am really proud of it. I think there's always, I'm a massive sufferer of comparisonitis. So there's always that bit of me going, Oh, but look at them. They've done really well with their podcast and they've got this many downloads. So, and you know, and and I, I sort of beat myself up because I think I don't make enough of it you know like there's some amazing episodes on there but I think because of the way my head works is like right done that now onto the next thing so I don't promote the episodes as much as I should you know and I think it probably could reach a lot more people if I was much more diligent and structured about my social media and my sharing and things so I I sort of have that element of frustration that I'm not doing this as well as I should or could do but yeah it's just been a joy another thing that has just been a joy to Give me an excuse to chat to a load of people that I would really want to chat to and to be nosy. And to, you know, I think doing the Organic September collaboration with Organic UK and getting to speak to like Guy Singh Watson and Melissa Hemsley and, you know, people that like, I think if I'd just approached them, they'd have been like, Who are you? Um, so you know, being able to do that with the sort of backing of them has been really lovely. But I think that the best thing that I love is talking to like ordinary people like I think one of my favorite episodes is the one we did with the with the knackered mums and it was like a cup of coffee around the table with the knackered mums and hearing about them and the changes that they've made and I think it was Jane and Helen and I'm gonna forget it was the third one uh, but it was just so gorgeous to hear and, and I think hopefully so relatable because sometimes we feel like we've got to be this that type of person to make those changes or to you know, be a celebrity or whatever to make a difference. And actually to hear from these amazing women like Naked and sat around the kitchen table who have all made a difference as well. And that's, I think the idea that there's this platform that allows or helps me to amplify other people's voices as well. So like talking to Catherine last week about composting I mean we didn't even go into half well really any of the stuff she does with Barefoot Kitchen but she's amazing and she's doing all this amazing stuff in her local community with her social enterprise and things so I probably ought to get her back on to chat in uh, talking to Anna about worms and do you know like just these things and like god I want everybody to know about these things and so being able to talk and ask them questions and hopefully questions that other people are thinking of as
1: well um Millie and Sarah have asked what your top tips would be for speaking to others who are less eco-focused and how to get them more engaged this is hard podcast
0: (laughs) yeah it's hard isn't it um I was on um uh Sustainable podcast recently talking about the new book which is about parenting and they kind of said so like how do you so if you know somebody who's a new parent and you give them the book it's quite a passive aggressive almost thing to do isn't it like oh here you go you're shafting the world have this book like again I back away from having conversations in person with people like when my parents uh were alive they I mean I wouldn't like it was just felt too loaded too difficult a conversation so I would just go around pointedly turning lights off do you know? <laughs> um, and, and so that's really difficult. But I think the kind of show don't tell thing. So um this week, like transport is one of our sort of weak spots. So we're, we're relatively rural. We use the car a lot. We could cycle to school, but I can't face the arguments every morning. So I've been doing a thing where we've got a bike carrier on the back of the car. I drive into school, cycle home, cycle back to school, drive back again. So it's cutting... If I do it every day, which I haven't been, it would cut our carbon footprint of our school run by 50%. But the fact that other people are seeing me cycling to and from school certainly makes, I think, you know, and and last year, you know, we did cycle in and back in the summer when it was nicer weather and things and with the kids cycling. And I think that, that just makes other people think, oh gosh, like maybe we could do that once a week or, you know, that sort of. So I definitely think that show don't tell. Um, I think sharing your own, excitement maybe around some of the changes that that you've made in exactly that lovely way that Suze was doing with her lent things so you know if you change energy supplier and you save 300 quid oh my god tell everybody that you know that you did that because I think sometimes we hold back from sharing eco stuff whereas if we'd gone and got a pair of jeans that we were really lusting after and had got 50 quid off my god we'd probably tell like oh look at my jeans and I found these and they were there and Here's a discount voucher they gave me. You know, like, but we sort of think, oh God, I can't do that because it's about green stuff and people will feel judged or think I'm judging them. And uh." so sometimes I think, you know, if you are genuinely excited about something, which sounds really geeky, but um, you know, it can be, again, starts people's sort of ripples, thought processes, and things. And yeah, maybe you know, sharing those easy wins, sharing um, your excitement. I, I think the thing I like is. When we were doing our year buying nothing new, I don't think anybody would have looked at us who didn't know us and gone, there's that family buying nothing new. Do you know, like there, there, there was nothing outwardly different or unusual about us. We weren't suddenly conforming to a loads of really sort of eco stereotypes. So the more people can see us doing, doing, making small changes and still living, air uh, quotes, normal kind of mainstream lives. And it doesn't look like we've had to make massive we're not living this austere life and heading back to our yurt after school, hopefully it kind of makes it feel much more doable for, for other people as well. Absolutely. So Sophie says, we talk
2: a lot about small-scale at-home environmentalism and e-correction in the group. And it's absolutely no way of complaining that we do that. She'd love to know about the most exciting wide-scale
0: project that you've heard about recently. Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me this one because I was desperately trying to think about <laughs> it. <laughs> There are so many brilliant projects. I interviewed a guy called Rick from um, an organisation called Carbon Copy. They're a sort of space for, um, whether it's local authorities or local groups or, um, you know, renewable energy cooperatives or whatever, to sort of come together and almost kind of not even share best practice, but share what they've done so other people can go, oh, that worked and that didn't, and that might be able to work for us. And so... um, Actually, I'm really lucky. I live near Froome in Somerset. It's about 15 minutes away. Um, And they have done some remarkable things in, in Froome. I think they were the first place in the country to have a community fridge. So if people haven't heard of community fridges, they are basically fridges that are full of food that anybody in the community can come and access so they will take donations from some of the big places in town I think there's an M&S and a Greg's and a, you know and so anything that they've got left at the end of the day volunteers will go around and pick that up and, and that's going to go out of date and they'll put it in the in the fridge and there's also a sort of pantry part next to it and and, and you know if, if I was going on holiday I could put my leftover food in there for people to take And anybody can come and take it. So the the whole thing is, it's about food waste and not necessarily about food poverty. So there's no stigma associated with coming and taking something out of the fridge. It's about reducing that food waste. But obviously, if you are somebody who's struggling to find money for food, then, you know, again, that food is there for you to take. And that has spread um, around the country. I think Hubbub um, are an environmental charity, and they've sort of taken the reins on that one. And they've got a whole loads of information and resources for people if you want to set one up in your community. So that spread all around the country. They were also the first place, I think, in the country to have a share shop. So it's like a library of things. So you can go along and um, you could rent, I don't know, say say it wasn't COVID and uh, you had grandkids coming to stay, you could rent a high chair, you could rent a um, car seat, you could rent toys. Do you know, like every, basically theirs is like anything you, you might want, gardening tools, anything, and you can go along and you can borrow them. And again, that, that is something that is sort of spreading around the country. In London, there's a, um, an organisation called the Library of Things, and they have different ones dotted around London, and I think they're looking to spread out. Uh, also, repair cafes, they're an amazing thing. They've really taken a hit at the moment because of COVID and people not being able to get together. But I found out about them when I was doing the year buying nothing new in 2012 or 13, and there were three in the country. There are now hundreds. Um, So for anybody who doesn't know, they started in the Netherlands and it's this idea that they're sort of pop up events and you can just take your broken things along. And there's a a sort of team of volunteer fixers there who will either show you how to mend your thing or mend your thing for you so they can take small electricals and textiles and all sorts of things. Again, I think something that has kind of exploded around the country. So and all these things are, are really kind of grassroots, bottom up, you know, and they're really sort of driving this conversation around the sharing economy around, um, you know, consumption and how these ways that we can actually slow down and lower our consumption. So I think those are probably like three of my favourite schemes and things that feel really doable. I think, you know, there's loads of great kind of community energy schemes and things going on. But for someone with my type of brain, that feels like a too technical, a step too far, you know, whereas I could I could organize a repair cafe, like I did, you know, I've done one locally a few times, and I could probably organize a, you know, a give and take day or something like that. So I think they're sort of things that everybody can kind of get behind. And they're things that oh, another one <laughs> and another one. I knew I think of loads. Party kit network. So um there are reusable party kits. I mean, that wasn't even a thing a couple of years ago, was it? And then I think there was an article on the BBC about a PTA, a school PTA who'd done it. So it's a Reusable bowls, cups, plates for, you know for having a, a kid's party. And um, Isabel, Mac, who now runs the party kit network, is amazing, and she just sort of saw this idea and, and other people sort of jumping on and, and starting their own and thought, well, let's create a central place, so there's a directory of where you can come and find all the ones in the UK so you can find out if you've got one near you again. I could set one of those up you know like I could um, beg steal or borrow some cups or plates and and things and have a kit that I can loan out to people or I could a lot of people buy them the 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 stuff from Ikea and Isabella's even now been talking um, has has managed to find a place that will recycle the Ikea hard plastic kind of bowls and plates so there's a real kind of uh, you know whole circular loop thing going so I mean and again that's just one person she just sort of saw this idea and she's and now that I think there's 400 kits and there's kits happening in in Ireland and in Australia. And so, yeah. Le- oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, where are we up to?
1: Uh, so Suze, um, I think, asks a really good question, uh, which is
0: what do your boys think of your job? <laughs> um I I still really kind of feel like, Oh, is this a job? Like, I don't know. Um, and I feel really like, Oh, I'm not I'm not a proper like running a business and things. But I have to kind of try and change my mindset. And like, you know, this is this is my job. Um, it generates me, you know, I'm so lucky that I get to do something impactful, something that I enjoy doing. And that does, you know, generate me an income as well. I naively assumed I think that they would be have absorbed all this stuff and be real kind of eco warriors and really, you know, wanting to go on school strikes. And they're quite apathetic not the right word. They're just kind of, I think they just think it's, they're like, oh, that's mummy's got that. Like mummy's dealing with that. That's fine. I don't need to, to do that. My youngest gets really cross with me for, you know, by, um, like when it was homeschooling and, oh, you're always on your computer mummy. And obviously I'm telling them off about screen time. And so he's having a go at me for my screen time trying to explain that daddy spends all his time on the computer as well, but you just don't see him because he's out of the house and trying to explain that, you know, look, actually it's really lucky that I can be home and um, still working and able to do all these things with you. But yeah, he gets really cross and like, Oh, you're always, always on calls in the evenings. And, but I think he just, you know, trying to say, look, God, if I was working full time out of the house, then you'd <laughs> really be you. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what they, what they think of my job. You know, I was like, "Oh, look the new the new books!" out. Like, All right, well done. <laughs> that thing, isn't it? That perhaps
1: you know, in, ask you again in 10, 15 mm. years' time, and you'll get a very, very you know, you're probably going to have some kids who are going to be incredibly proud of what their mums achieved. But asking them at this age, yeah. like, you know, it's it's like having I don't know a, a superstar or some you know some film star, and their kids are just like, "But you're just mum. You're not. Mm. You know, you're not Angelina Jolie. He- you're not." You know, I don't know. I'm trying
0: to think of you, your kids don't see you as but you're people, just... really, do they? You're they see you as that. Their... And I remember being the same with my parents. was just like, well, you're you're just my mum and my dad, and you know. And then it's not until you're grown up and you have got your own kids and you're like, oh my god, like <laughs> <laughs> you did a really good job. Yeah. You? So yeah, I think they're sort of underwhelmed. By <laughs> <laughs> probably the word. <laughs> Laura, have we got any more?
2: Yeah, we do. Um, Tamazin. And also Helen G kind of asked a similar question. So Tamsin wants to know, who would you want to talk to in the next 100 episodes? And Helen says, if money and carbon footprint was no object, who would you have on your podcast? Mm.
0: Obviously Greta, Um. obviously David Attenborough. But then I, I kind of also feel like, there, there was a documentary. This is a, a, again a really long-winded episode. There was a, uh, answer. There was a documentary um, a couple of years ago by Stacey Dooley about fast fashion, and it's a brilliant, brilliant documentary. And and I think the reason it had the reach it did, I mean, it was on prime time. But the reason it had the re- uh, one of the reasons it had the reach it did is because we weren't expecting that message from Stacey Dooley. Had it been Liz Bonin or somebody else doing it, I think there are a, a, a proportion of people who wouldn't have tuned in, who would have gone, I know what she's going to. I kind of. I know what to expect from her. I know it's probably gonna make me feel a bit bad or do you know? And, and so there are a proportion of people who sort of maybe don't engage with Greta or David Attenborough or whatever, but they, um, so so actually, I, yeah, I would love to have some real kind of mainstream air quotes influencers, you know, on to just say, okay, so how, how are you guys? Get, I mean, um, Lauren who runs Wear Em Out Pads, she interviewed Jules Oliver for her podcast episode one of her podcast and I was just like, Oh my God, like how amazing to be able to talk to these people who already have a really established platform who are already reaching millions of people and to be able to have a mainstream, uh, yeah, I guess a mainstream conversation about eco stuff with them and to kind of say to them, okay, so how, you know, how are you feeling about this? And, and maybe say to them, like, what's one small thing that, that you can do and to be able to start that conversation with them almost feels potentially more powerful than being able to have a conversation with Greta. Having said that, apparently David Attenborough is the one figure who cuts across all demographics and who everybody trusts, regardless of whether you're you know, a cool teenager or um, a sort of nana at home. He, he cuts across all of that and everybody trusts what he says. So absolutely would have him on. But yeah, I just think some of those sort of big mainstream influencer accounts to be able to engage with them and have conversations with them in a really natural, normal, you know, non-judgy, accessible way. And to just be able to start those conversations with them and therefore their audience would just be huge, I think. But I don't, I don't have any celebrity contacts. So if anybody does, give me a shout. <laughs>
1: okay. And um, the last one that I've got um, is from Helen, which is, what is your biggest ish? Oh, <laughs>
0: so many I was thinking about this because I had a heads up on the questions I have so many issues I wrote a blog post um before Christmas about I don't know like the 10 things I do that make me a crap environmentalist I've got kids like some people would say that's a massive ish we uh, we have a dog that's quite a big um addition to our carbon footprint but do you, it's this kind of weighing up of the 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 joy and the happiness she brings us and she gets us out in the fresh air and all those sorts of things So it's me justifying all my issues. We're not vegan. We're not, we're working our way towards vegetarian, but we're not. And I don't know if we, you know, I think this is one of the additional challenges of of trying to sort of be sustainable with, with, you know, your family and with kids in tow and all that sort of thing. And that if I was on my own, I probably would have quite a good stab at being vegan or and I probably would quite happily cycle a lot more and things, but it's trying to find these compromises that fit in with the rest of the family, isn't it? So, well, yeah, I've already mentioned the car, we're a two-car family. One is electric and one is a plug-in hybrid, but we're still a two-car family. And that's, you know, because we've been fortunate enough to be able to um sort of afford to make those changes. So that's a big ish. You know, we could we should probably be getting the train and uh walking and cycling an awful lot more. Yeah, I think those are probably our biggest ones, the the sort of diet, the travel, the dog. Um we're not pl- we're certainly not plastic free. Do you know? I I talk one of one of the changes that I think that a lot of people make as a first change or that is always talked about a lot is the sort of bar soap and shampoo bars and things and we tried and we tried but we just couldn't get on with it so we get the five litre refill bottles do you know it's it's about finding ways that that work and the kids still wash their hands do you know (laughs) um so lots of issues know that we've got one massive one but lots of issues Oh, I think
1: I think that's brilliant, because it is it's real life, isn't it? And I think sometimes you get people who are in this sphere who very much put themselves on this pedestal of, oh, I'm completely plastic free or I'm completely, you know, I've i have completely changed my lifestyle to rid myself of all of these mm. things. And it's like, but for one thing, I, I really struggle to believe that you're completely plastic free. Like how anybody, unless they are literally, you know, growing all of their own food, Mm. creating all of their own, you know, their own cleaning products and things, which people are doing increasingly, which is wonderful. And people are reusing, which is wonderful, but it has to be something that people can actually do Mm. on on a daily level. And I think, like you said before, you know, recognizing those different phases of life that you know, 10 years ago, it, it would be, a, you know, elements, it would be a lot harder. Mm. But as the time progresses, and when you know, I think that's one of the things that I love about the Naked Mums Eco Club is that the information is there and the support network is there. So you might not quite be ready to take a step. But you know that when the moment comes, and you are ready, that you'll make a good choice. Mm. I think the danger of greenwashing is very real. Mm. and there are there are decisions that I made a year ago where I thought I was making a good eco choice and then being in the Naked mums eco club all of a sudden I've seen oh actually that thing is better than what I was doing before but it's not as good as I could do and actually that change is very simple to make so I think you know that thing of of recognizing that ish ish is okay yeah but that actually when the moments come when we can make the changes that we should take the opportunity and yeah, do it. and
0: it's you know it's okay to make. I don't even think they're wrong decisions. That's part. That was part of your journey, and that was like a stepping stone to getting there. And there's that Maya Angelou quote, isn't there? About like I I I did what I did with the knowledge that I had, and now I know better. I do better. It's it's that, and we can't beat ourselves up for the things that we've done in the past, or the the, the things that we were sort of doing without realising or whatever, and it, because they're done and actually you know, we need to look forwards and think about, okay, so what's the, what's the thing that will work for us now? And that might not be the perfect thing that Deirdre Down the Road is doing, but this is what's going to work for us at the moment. Because otherwise, if we create this really difficult, you know, if I said to the kids, like, we are absolutely going to cycle to school every day, I don't care if it's raining, it's going to be, like, (laughs) I say they would hate me, they would probably hate me a little bit more than, you know, when I asked them to tidy their room or whatever, like, it just wouldn't, it would be, it would just be hell. So it's about, trying to find these ways that work that allow, I think especially with our kids as well, allow them to feel like they're, you know, they don't wanna stand out from their friends. They don't wanna be the ones who can't do X, Y, and Z. Um, and we don't kind of, you know, we want them to fit in and to all those sorts of things, really, whether that's right or wrong. So it's it's trying to find ways that work and everybody's gonna have different challenges, different circumstances, and, and that's that's okay, yeah. Um, Laura, is that as is that done or is there? Yeah,
2: no, that is as done because my other question was the same one as Kate.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much, guys. You've been wonderful interviewers. It's weird being an interviewee. Brilliant, thank you so much. And I hope that was really interesting for people and sort of answered a lot of people's questions.